0: Hi, everybody. Thanks once again for tuning into Eastern Approaches, the world's sexiest podcast on all things Central and Eastern Europe. As always, I am one of your team of fearless and intrepid guides, Ben Curtis. You can find me at benjamincurtis.me and my partner in crime,
1: Andrew Malone, And you can find me at Tours.com.
0: So, I mean, I hope as always, right, we've got a a fantastic show for you today. I hope there hasn't been a dud yet, though. If you think there's been a dud, by all means, write us angry emails or leave us angry Facebook comments. We'd love to have them, even if they are angry. Great show today. Today, we're going to talk about some places in this part of the world, in our part of the world that we know almost nothing about. We've been using the phrase, the black holes, which has multiple different uh, uh, potential connotations. I'll let you run with that, uh, anybody who's listening. But so we're gonna talk about black holes, places we actually know almost nothing about in a part of the world, which we actually know really well. Then seasonal, we're gonna talk about kind of Christmas traditions and fun facts in both Prague, where I live, and Koper, where Andrew lives. We'll do a bit of destination focus this week with some outdoorsy places. And then in honor of his dad's birthday, Andrew's got something special at the end, so that's our plan. Let us begin, Andrew, with a black hole.
1: With a black hole. And I'm not talking the Disney 1979 movie with the with the robot and whatever. I don't know exactly. if any. Yeah, if you caught that one or not. That was like when Disney tried to go serious and sci-fi mm. and all that stuff. Yeah, no. Like as Ben said, obviously, if you know, we know the region uh, pretty well. Uh, we've managed to do 13 episodes so far on it. But there's places we either haven't been to or know very little about. Uh, and when I was thinking of this, there was three different countries that I've either haven't been to or three or four countries I haven't been to or didn't know much about. I've, I'm going to choose Slovakia because I've actually been there, but only once. Um, and that was 10 years ago. So Slovakia is, a, for me, this place that... That I think I'm not the only one who's who's missed it a lot because, you know, if you're going, if a lot of people in Budapest, Prague, Poland, I, I kind of even think the amount of times I've been to Lviv in Western Ukraine that even more people go there than let's hmm. say Bratislava, unless they're doing the Bratislava day trip from Vienna, um, or they're really, you know, they're into skiing or outdoors or things like that. But Slovakia, when I would keep track of these travel reader boards, like the Thorn Tree on Lonely Planet, it for sure had to have, other than maybe Belarus, the least amount of questions uh-huh. asked about it. Interesting. Um, so, uh, and I know obviously there's there's more to see than, uh, and it's deserving of a, of a visit. So I went, th- I'll, I'll just say what I've seen, and then some things I'm, I'm curious about or interested in. Um, so I was coming actually from Lviv and I was heading, actually heading down to the Balkans through through Budapest and I thought, oh, this is my chance because I've got I've to go I'm really close to the border with Slovakia. This is my chance I should pop in. So I went to Košice, which is the second largest city in Slovakia in Eastern Slovakia. So I just saw a little sliver of Eastern Slovakia and yeah, I think it's about the same size as Ljubljana, about 240,000 people. It actually was quite nice. I, I had really no idea what to expect because other than, this was 2010, other than the fact that I had never been there, I really don't think I knew anyone who had been there except maybe one guy i met who, was, who did a lot of hiking in the, the what is it, the Mala Fatra? There's two, there's two Fatras, mm. Ben. I'm not sure, maybe you know those because yeah. you're more of an outdoor guy. Um, but, uh, so yeah, I just went there and I, what I realized right off the bat, cause I stayed at a, quite a nice hotel, uh, that was fairly inexpensive at the time. I can't remember if Slovakia was on the Euro at that point or not.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but that U S steel company has a huge base there. Um, and I think there's like 12,000 employees or something like that. So there's a lot of business people, things like that. So I, you know, took completely clues on that. Um, uh, Nice place. There was actually some, a couple of the restaurants I went to, I'd I'd been to their sister restaurant in Krakow. Um, uh, And uh, yeah, I spent a couple of days there. There was a huge kind of, kind of gothic uh, cathedral. Uh, But one of the reasons why I chose, I mean, the main reason I chose Eastern Slovakia was it was just on my way. It wasn't too much of a detour going out of my way from Western Ukraine. There were a lot of little towns that that read really nicely in the Rough Guide or Lonely Planet books I had read. So I did go to Bardeyov, I believe that's the pronunciation on it. Um, but like a lot of things, when you don't have many pictures and I don't have many pictures of this trip, I've just kind of forgotten everything. So I'm like, yeah, I remember it was like a cute town, had a lot of the uh, kind of multicolored buildings that I would expect in Slovakia or Czech um, or you know, a lot of places in Central Europe. Uh, there was a town, a couple other towns I wanted to see that had like outdoor ethnographic museums, but I didn't have a car and I was just, I wasn't, wasn't there very long. So it wasn't that I had a bad impression of Slovakia. It just, it's, it's just, I haven't budgeted time when I'm, when I'm traveling through there to stop there. And I, of course, I I know I don't know so many places what i do know is this and this is why i want to go back and actually see some things it seems like slovakia is is one of the places that has like the greatest amount of castles or ruined castles uh in europe Uh, certainly that's the way it reads when i'm looking at these guidebooks and some of my polish friends have been to some of these amazing castles that look like something from lord of the rings or more like fortresses i guess um and there's there's a town that's always that's always stuck in my brain like, okay, this is my, sounds like my cup of tea town. But of course, it's, it's not really next to anything. So even last summer, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll just drive there. And then I was doing the calculations and I was like, ah, shit, okay, I'm just gonna go to somewhere closer that I haven't been to than there. And it's called Banska Stavnica, I believe. Um, and then when we were prepping for the show, Ben mentioned he had been there before. So Ben, is this, is this something that should be on my radar, especially if I'm going to Slovakia?
0: Oh yeah, let's, let's take that black hole and put it where the sun don't shine, something like that, I don't know, yeah.
1: But the sun all, all, doesn't already shine in the black hole, I but yeah, know. I know.
0: <laughs> the, the metaphor breaks down or whatever, but yeah. No, I mean, I guess I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't claim that Slovakia has much in the way of must-sees, except I think it's it's the best things. It has the best mountains in Eastern Central Europe in the High Tatras, which are totally spectacular. To people who don't know them, right there, they form the border between Poland and Slovakia. And they're jagged, rocky mountains that shoot right up out and just, you know, as spectacular as the Alps, say, but smaller and uh, much less known. But yeah, Banská Štjavnica is a super cute, mining town from like 15, uh, yeah, 1500 sort of renaissance a lot of renaissance architecture they're nestled in this little valley unesco world heritage site so definitely cute not it's not that easy to get to but it's it is worth seeing and and i would speak up for other stuff in slovakia but you know the the thing that stands out is the natural scenery but it does have some cute towns um Yeah, ruined castles. Spiski Hrad is one of the most famous, like this big ruined castle on a hill overlooking all the territory all around. It's pretty evocative. Um,
1: That's the one I'm thinking of that looks like, you know, you could have Gandalf and everyone else mm -hmm. like riding by on their horses. And, you know, that would, you know, you wouldn't have to add any like CGI effects to that. Totally.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's, you gotta, you gotta devote a little bit more time to Slovakia someday Andrew it does have stuff worth seeing it may it may be hard to prioritize given all the other amazing things to see but but damn it you owe those Slovaks
1: I I do if nothing else I feel like since everyone confuses the country I live in with their country mm-hmm. you know I might as well like hey here's the 10 differences between Slovenia and Slovakia and actually the the last few years I The people I know, let's say, kind of in wine in Slovenia are talking up Slovakian wines quite a bit. And so I Hmm. think it seems like, uh, you know, obviously I, I was there once and I wasn't paying attention to it certainly their wine and even their food scene i was you know just reading some things online looked like okay yeah that's you know there's there seems to be maybe more on offer than i thought although i think part of the i think part of the reason ben is like i never there wasn't anything in bratislava either that i read or heard from quite a few travelers on that really sold me like, oh, I gotta go to that capital. Uh, and then most of the things I wanna see aren't next to it. So if like, if this uh, stiavnitsa was nearby, it's like, okay, I'll go to Bratislava and then, you know, see this castle and the this, that, and then the next town and whatever. So I think that was part of the thing is uh, just not having the capital city like draw me in to it. And then everything else seems a little bit scattered. So. Maybe for me, best is to just go go with the car and just kind of roam around and whatever hits whatever hits my spot, I'll just stick at for a while and, and kind of mosey around the country like that.
0: I think that makes sense. Uh, yeah, having your own car will totally definitely make it easier. And and yeah, Bratislava, yeah, yeah it's not is not going to be anybody's favorite, but yeah, you know you go to where the good stuff is and, and it's, it's not bad. And certainly, I mean, you won't have to share it with loads of tourists because uh, <laughs> uh, it's whether or not the thorn tree, whether or not Slovakia has risen on uh, the thorn trees radar. I don't know since uh, 2010, but I don't think there's a whole lot of people under normal circumstances, pandemic side who are there anyway. Yeah, um,
1: I, I, I would agree. I, it looked like when I was there just looking at talking with a few people looking at, like websites and seeing what language it was. It was definitely more like they were going for the German, Austrian markets and spas mm-hmm. and things like that, which make which makes sense. I mean, that's a big thing in Slovenia that I totally ignore just because I'm, you know, I'm. I don't know. I'm not as not so interested in, in spa things, so I kind of just I just don't even read those chapters of the book.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. um, okay, well now it's time for me to admit my shame, and this one. Yeah, so Slovakia, we can kind of cut you some slack on that, in that it's not, you know, it's this little country sandwiched in between other things. But my black hole is pretty shameful, because it's like my black hole is kind of two thirds of uh, the one of the largest countries in Central Europe, most and po- most populous countries in Central Europe, and that is Poland. Like, I will. Admit there's some good things in Poland I have never been to, like Gdańsk up in the north, right? Or Malbork, the famous fortress, which is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, Torun, which is this ostensibly cute, how would I know? Just because I've seen pictures, medieval town in northern Poland, Warsaw, of course, the capital, which doesn't maybe get as as much love for being cute, but is apparently quite vibrant and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I've been to the Warsaw airport (laughs) and that oh sure
1: buddy that counts
0: (coughs) yeah no i know it's pretty bad and i don't and i'm trying to i don't know why i haven't been to these places part of it i think is like because northern poland is pretty darn flat and i do tend to go to where we've got more spectacular landscapes um but i really have no excuse right i mean i've as we've talked about, I've been traveling around this part of the world for 25 years, and in 25 years, never have actually made it to Warsaw or Gdansk. That's
1: uh, yeah, that's yeah. pretty
0: shameful. What I maybe what I need to do is next time I'm in Poland, find some nice Catholic bishop who would be willing to give me a spanking, and I'm sure there are some.
1: <laughs> I I would know about that, but <laughs> what I would <laughs> but what I would know is yes gedankst is is so so much history so, I mean that and so much uh amazing renovation work if you see the photos the before like the post-World War II photo and how it is now it's I mean I know war, mm-hmm. a lot of people see that in Warsaw how it was totally rebuilt and you're kind of amazed although it looks a little bit more like yeah this has been rebuilt but mm-hmm. gedankst is you're like oh I just figured all this all these brick buildings are were here you know still standing from 15th and 16th century in the golden age so sure. uh and Torun is is cute it has the the Polish gingerbread Pernicki mm-hmm.
0: uh, museum
1: you can make it there you could buy it there it tastes great it's got a um, uh, Copernicus was born there uh, Malbork is the largest brick castle in in Europe and perhaps the the world so yeah i i think for me because i've probably seen more of poland in that area and less in the other area because like i've been to krakow and and the tatras uh but i haven't been to a lot of the other places unless let say more southern the southern half of poland so i'm more more versed in the northern half so you got to check it out even warsaw ben i have to say it's one of those things where it's like before it be like Yeah, if you have time, see it, you know, not a must see for for capitals, but I've seen it over now over 20 years and how it's changed and it's 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 a there's a lot going on there like that Mm -hmm. you you won't you could spend three days in Warsaw and you 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 won't be bored and there's plenty of palaces to see and some of the museums uprising museum or World War II museum, the museums of Poland are are cat's ass so um, Hmm. definitely some things to
0: see. Yeah, no, I, I do feel shame about it. And I even had a plan this year of going to these places until, you know, travel plans came apart uh, in 2020. But, damn it, 2021 will be the year of Poland for Ben Curtis. You heard it here, people. Uh, December, in December 2020, Ben declared 2021, he's going he's gonna to fill up that black hole with knowledge or whatever, <laughs> whatever you get, fill up black holes with.
1: Gedankst or die. Exactly, and then it's like, okay, here's the funeral for Ben. He didn't make no, it there.
0: <laughs> no, no no I, I really think well, if we're allowed to travel, I think I yeah. will I think I will I will get there.
1: Yeah, let's we'll do a follow, we could do a follow up uh, mm-hmm. in a year from now and, and see where we're at. I'm not so sure on Slovakia just because like most of the places around it, I'm not really sure I'm going there next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know caveat obviously that you know you know travel is somewhat uh, back to normal. Uh, but I, th- I think, though, the next time I'm in one of those bordering countries, I'm going to have to be like, OK, I really got to I really got to plan at least three or four days to go see something in Slovakia. So uh, I could, you know, I try to one up. Yeah.
0: Yeah, sounds good. And the, I guess the the invitation is out there to anyone listening that if it turns out that I have not made it to like Danskin Warsaw Torun in 2021, but if anyone knows a Polish Catholic bishop. Who is into spanking people you know just we connect us and uh, and he will meet out my punishment
1: now is that is that is that is that going to be like a video that you know will yeah. we uploaded on our facebook page <laughs> I'm okay i'm
0: thinking it ought to be yeah that definitely ought to be a live event
1: yeah, if we, and if we can't like bust our records for viewers and hits mm-hmm. and all that, and all those like social media stats, I'm going to be so disappointed in our guests I and mean, oh, uh, our, our viewers would be like, okay, guys, we're just going to give up now. Like, yeah. if, if you can't tune in for that, then like, what the hell's the point?
0: Mm-hmm. You didn't tune in for for our trivia, but for Ben getting spanked by a Catholic bishop, you better be there.
1: Exactly. Because he doesn't want to go through that again, uh, most likely. (laughs) Most likely. Exactly. Uh, So, you know, let's let's do the segue into Christmas stuff. My first Christmas in Europe uh, was actually not in Warsaw, but my first the first time I saw Christmas decorations go up because it was late November. Of '99 was in was in Warsaw, so I remember them putting up Christmas decorations and such like that uh, in in Warsaw. Uh, and I've actually there's there's I wish I, I I will try to put this link on our Facebook page. There is an amazing Japanese photographer who who usually shoots Croatia and Balkans, but he's in Poland now and he's shooting all the uh, Christmas decorations and mainly in Warsaw. I'm not sure Krakow. And it's amazing, amazing decorations. But that was my first intro. It was like, oh, okay, it's like almost thanks it was like Thanksgiving-ish time in the states. and I was in Poland and they were already setting up shop there with all the decorations in Warsaw. And here in Koper, been the last two or three weeks, they've been setting up this that and the next thing. And I expected well over a week ago for them to switch the lights on because they did that in the capital city of Ljubljana and they had not, and it wasn't hmm. until Sunday, just a few days ago, that they finally turned on the lights, um, uh, so in Coper, you know, we're not a huge city, it's like 20,000 people altogether, the, 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 the light decorations, pretty nice, the main square, uh, has a, uh, has a, bell tower on the church that's all decorated has some there's like a carriage and other things with with lights on last year they had this really cool like video projection thing they did where where you have one of the old um venetian houses where they they house the tourist information office and on that whole building they were projecting uh like different christmas images and snow and what have you it was like kind of a light a light spectacular thing with with projections and sound and stuff like that now that hasn't been up yet so i'm not sure if that's like they're just like ah forget it where we can't really do christmas too much and so they're just not bothering with that or if it's going to show up later on so even though they're a little late on things it's pretty nice and to be honest i i wasn't really expecting too much on like in a coastal town anyway i I don't because i usually don't go to coastal towns during christmas season um but it's so hard to talk about Christmas this year, just with everything basically being shut. Um, you know, the, all the um, little kiosks that would sell mold wine, which mm-hmm. I'm sure they normally have, they have everywhere in Europe. Just the other day, the government said, okay, no one could sell alcohol. So even the shop, even the little like kebab shop I might go to, to get a takeaway lunch, starting a few days ago, they can't even sell alcohol because those other Christmas kiosks with the hot wine and stuff can't can't be open and they don't want people like drinking and gathering on the streets together and things like that. So it's really, other than the lights, obviously the weather doesn't, you know, there's no snow here, we got a lot of rain recently, but it it doesn't feel so, it doesn't feel so Christmassy. And I, I think there's one or two people doing the roasted chestnuts which to me is like nice, but that's more like an autumn thing. Like in my book, I mean, it's nice to have a Christmas too. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, and you know, since, since my family and I obviously are not Slovenian, we don't have, and we don't really have a set, like here's what we make every year here. Uh, <laughs> and if you're wondering, well, ha- have I been invited to some Slovenian's house for dinner? That would be shocking if that were, were the case. And that's one of those differences I could say that's definitely between, I think, the US and, and a place like Slovenia is yeah, I don't think anyone, it crossed anyone's mind, hey, let's invite them over for dinner. Maybe some other expat would invite us over for dinner on Christmas, although technically not this Christmas because then we'd be breaking the law. Um, but uh, so I don't really know. I mean, I don't really have a very good idea on here's what Slovenians do at christmas time or like what they make what they cook things like that um some other holidays it's more noticeable because you can go to restaurants and get the saint martin special or something for easter or whatever but christmas here it's it's kind of just you know uh yeah i don't know it's this year especially it's just it doesn't really feel like the holiday season
0: yeah i think the same to a certain extent in Prague too like the here you ought to have the like really lively Christmas markets all set up in in squares throughout the city. And, you know, those aren't happening. And, and yeah, I mean, some of my Czech friends were already lamenting. We, well, yeah, we can't go out and have some of the Svashak which is the bold wine, like the seasonal kind of stuff. And just the, that kind of get togethers that atmosphere not happening here either. The lights have gone up. I wonder if they're doing less here this year, though too i think but there are some of the other funny quirky interesting czech traditions which will more or less go on and i'll just mention a couple of these things are the ones that i find most kind of amusing there's a lot of christmas traditions uh, in in this country um some of which are familiar from elsewhere in europe and some of which are kind of unusual to this part of the world but you know we um The beginning of December, in some ways, like the kickoff of Advent season is Mikulash, so the the St. Nicholas's Day, which I think is usually technically December 6th. But here what they do is they celebrate it on the eve. So on the 5th, the night of the 5th is usually when what happens is you have Mikulash, who's like a dude who, I mean, St. Nick, he kind of has like a big white beard and, you know, white hair and all that kind of stuff but he actually dresses like a bishop, like the actual traditional Bishop St. Nick. Um, And he goes around towns, I mean Prague or whatever Czech towns, he goes around towns and he's accompanied by an angel and a devil. And they go around and they, uh, St. Nicholas knows, like takes the tally of whether kids have been good or bad in the previous year. And if they've been good, then the angel, so it's somebody dressed up as an angel, uh, gives them like some sweets, but if they've been bad, well, then, you know, they might get a potato from the devil and the devil usually like has this like sack goes around with a sack and a chain. Um, and in normal year, like uh, St. Nicholas and the angel and devil would like actually come into people's houses. So sometimes like family just arrange. Okay. It's, it's Mikulashi, We're going to have this, the trio come over to our house as a kind of event for, for the family and for neighbors and that kind of stuff. So actually, it's just go into your house and, and you know, the kids would all kind of have their reckoning. Um, or like in Prague and the main square also, they would have, you'd have multiple mikulashes and angels and devils around kind of doing their thing. I walked through the main town square on, um, on the night of the 5th and I saw one Nicholas. I didn't even see any devils or angels out there. So, uh, you know, maybe maybe the angels and the devils are all in quarantine because they have been not wearing masks. I'm not really sure. Um, well,
1: I mean, some of them might even be like, like here, you know, you've got people dressing up as the Krampus uh, mm-hmm. char- character and they might have like the full-on costume with masks and stuff like that. It al- it's almost like a mini carnival. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the first couple of christmases i lived in slovenia in our village we'd have these you know i didn't know anything about it i was like what's going on and you use all this you know hoopla outside and you look at these people and then you're like "Ooh, they look kind of scary because <laughs> it was yeah. there was no saint nick it was just a but or angels it was just like you know five or six dudes dressed as a krampus guy so or Kr- yeah. krampus creature
0: yeah and they don't do the krampus thing isn't quite as big here and apparently but though still i read that um some like child psychologists are saying, ooh, having the, having the devil go around and you know threaten children who've been bad, they really shouldn't be doing it. That's not good for children anymore, which imagine me, everyone listening, doing a big eye roll. However, I'm not a child psychologist, so I should really just stay out of it. But, but it does sound a little bit like precious snowflake syndrome to me, that, uh, <laughs> that idea. Um, but so then some of the other uh, fun, quirky Czech traditions is you'll have just a few days before christmas eve uh and this i'm sure will happen this year just because you can't do christmas here without it you have big like um what would you call them like vats set up on square throughout the entire country selling carp because carp is the traditional christmas eve dinner and czechs kind of do like Christmas, most of the celebrations actually happen on like Christmas Eve, so not on the 25th so much, but more on the 24th, so like Christmas dinners per se is on the 24th, and carp is your traditional Christmas dinner, and the thing that I love about this tradition is that a lot of families will go and buy a live carp from these vats on the, on the town square, and then bring it home and put it in the bathtub for a couple of days, um, and I guess, It has like a utility in that since carp are usually kind of like bottom feeders is that you let them swim in your bathtub for a few days and it cleans them out like the fresh water cleans them out so they're better to eat, whatever. Um, But it's also just weird. And it usually means that, um, you know, for the couple of days in a run up to Christmas Eve, uh, nobody's showered in the house, assuming there's only one bathtub or shower in the house. So because the carp, you know, gets the bathtub. Um, well, I mean, you know I mean- I don't know
1: how big the carp is or whatever, but you know you might be able to it's probably not gonna like bite you or something, so
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess you could bathe with the carp, why not? yeah, I'm surprised that they that they don't do that right um
1: maybe it'll eat but, the whatever the dead skin off your toes like those mm-hmm. those certain fish do, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, the carp are, they can be pretty big, so they might take a toe with it, but you know whatever, then yeah. you're gonna eat the carp so it all comes back somehow um so revenge then, Exactly yes, it becomes it's sort of Christmas Eve cannibalism or something like that. I don't know. Um, but so then what you do with the carp is that like traditionally, dad kills it on the 24th, and you because I I mean I have never had carp being a vegetarian, and people tell me it's not that good anyway. But what you're supposed to do to make it taste better, I guess, is you like soak the meat in milk for a time, and then here they they bread it and fry it. So they fry the carp. And Christmas Eve dinner is typically this fried carp with a potato salad. Every family has its own recipe for the potato salad, which can cause, you know, intrafamily family fights, like, you know, whose who's potato salad recipe is the best one? And you're usually Christmas Eve dinner, um, you have to have soup before it. And sometimes it will be fish soup also made with the carp. Um, but the one tradition, which I don't know how many people actually still do this, but maybe some – is that you're supposed to fast on Christmas Eve until Christmas Eve dinner, so you don't eat anything the entire day. And then, you know, late in the afternoon, and in fact, you're not supposed to have Christmas Eve dinner until the first star, until you can see the first star in the night sky. And so if you fast at that point, then what might happen is you will see the golden piglet. And if you see the golden piglet, then that is a, like, an omen of wealth for the coming year. So the idea is, You're starving, and you're going to start hallucinating a golden piglet. And if you actually see the golden piglet, hey, that's good luck. So that's a that's motivation to to fast, I guess. I don't
1: know. Yeah, I was gonna say Mm. I would need some serious motivation to do to do those fastings. Like, what am I gonna get out of this deal? Because like losing a few kilos is is not cutting it for
0: me. Mm, I need yeah. I
1: need a little bit more than that.
0: Uh, yeah, can we can we monetize this fasting and exactly know how much it's going to go into my? Can we set up a direct deposit to my bank account?
1: Like a GoFundMe um, is like, hey guys, I haven't eaten thirty-seven point five hours. Like you know, like everyone throw me two euros or something like
0: exactly, that. Exactly. Yes. Um, but then, so you're supposed to save the scale from the carp, um, and like you put that in your wallet or something like that, and that also traditionally the superstition is that will. I'll bring you wealth and good fortune in the coming year.
1: I guess, Ben, then when I need some wealth and good fortune, when we're together, I won't turn to you and say, hey, do you have that carp scale in your wallet, buddy? Because we need some good luck right about now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I, even if someone gave me a carp scale, which didn't involve me having to murder a poor innocent carp, I don't think I would carry that around for, for a whole year. Um, but then, so the big, the, the big exciting thing for the kids, of course, it's not like in kind of Anglo-Saxon traditions, I think, in most you know, f- kind of families, that, the traditions that come from, from England, where like Santa Claus comes Christmas Eve and the kids wake up Christmas morning and get all their goodies. What, how it works here is it's not Santa Claus who comes for one thing, but actually Christmas Eve night, while the kids are still awake, little baby Jesus sneaks in the window and leaves presents and they call little baby jesus called yezusek and he like apparently when the kids are distracted yezusek little baby jesus just like runs into the house drops the presents and then leaves again through the window and then when this has happened then the, the kids like come into the main room and suddenly little baby jesus has been there and there's all the presents so there you go and and the funny thing is like they say that um like you don't, there's not like pictures of little baby Jesus bringing presents. Like it's not like, again, not like a Santa Claus thing where you see like little baby Jesus has this big bag of, of presents and he goes around to all the homes. Like little baby Jesus kind of is not, he's sort of abstract, right? Like yeah. he has this superpower to turn up and, and bring presents and and do it without anybody noticing, but like nobody really knows what he looks like. So that's kind of, that's his superpower is, is to bring all these gifts, but also somehow to remain invisible.
1: Wow. Yeah. So like, in case you you're like, if you go to the atheist family, they're like, well, little baby Jesus couldn't make it. So we had little baby Amazon come instead.
0: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. The little baby drone that delivered your presence this year. Yeah.
1: Um, um, uh, this, this just in, uh, cause you were talking about carp, and this is what i thought but I, I reconfirmed with the power of google translate that yes in slovenia carp is almost carp except they they swapped a couple of the letters around and it's crap
0: mm-hmm, k-r-a-p
1: yes. so it's like mm-hmm. no i don't i don't normally eat crap on 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 christmas i usually want to eat something good duck or turkey or whatever you know go to a restaurant but yes carp is crap
0: um which uh, would be why if you Andrew had carp um, on Christmas Eve, people might then say that you had a shit-eating grin. I don't know where <laughs> I'm going with that. Anyway, um, that was pretty bad. We should we should move on from that one. But so those are some of the quirky Czech traditions. Uh, in, you know the and if anybody is feeling inspired by this, yes, get yourself some carp, and then who knows, maybe little baby Jesus will miraculously make an appearance with presents on christmas eve
1: that's cool i don't I, I mean people in slovenia might eat carp but i'm not sure about the whole bathtub thing and i haven't heard the the little baby jesus thing so i'm guessing that's not in slovenia but mm-hmm. like i said i, I i'm kind of experienced i'm experiencing christmas here kind of like i was back home because christmas is all at my house i'm not you know mm-hmm. sharing it with other slovenian families or what have you so I I can't be 100% sure what all goes on. Maybe it's one of those, like, they just keep it all secret because they don't want us to know the,
0: you know. The foreigners.
1: Yeah, keep the foreigners out. So that's Mm -hmm. fine. Uh, But what's great is, you know, with with married to a Russian and having all these expat Russian friends, I could always just celebrate Christmas again in January. So, you know, Mm -hmm. double down down on the Christmas stuff. Except, as I tell my kids, like, no, you only get one set of presents. But, you know.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's how dare you how dare you like limit their their consumerism in that fashion
1: i know it's like you guys could get half now and half later or all now and none later and you know what they're they're just going to go for the all all all, Mm -hmm. all of it right now so yeah of course so hey ben let's let's talk a little bit about something we haven't we haven't really done yet on our podcast is for a destination focus rather than a specific place or like we've done in the past with the off the beaten path Uh, spots and second cities, which we've just done recently, we can talk a little bit about some outdoorsy type of places, uh, whether to do walks or other outdoor sports or just beautiful places to to go see. I'm going to pick just places in Slovenia close by. I'm not the hugest outdoor guy, but there's two places in Slovenia that if because Slovenia is, you got you to test this, Slovenia is a country filled with very beautiful places. Am, am, I, am I right? You ain't lying. Yes, I ain't lying. Uh, and it's always hard to say like, what's the most beautiful spot? But I would say two of, two of the two or two of the three that always come to mind is uh, Logarska Dolina or Logar Valley and then uh, um, uh, Socha Valley. Uh, where where I think you've been I'm Mm -hmm. not sure if you've been to Logar or not yeah Um, but those are two places that are that are that are beautiful Logar Valley is a place that gets missed more by tourists I think it's more for locals or maybe some Austrians Uh, and it's kind of central north central so on the border with Austria but in more in the center of the 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 country, it's not too far away from things, but because the highway doesn't get you right there, it's more of a drive. Mm -hmm. But it's a a beautiful valley. Um, You've got a waterfall there that's almost 100 meters high. There's cycling there, and there's a lot of farmhouses. So Slovenia has a lot of these agriturismo kind of farmhouses things. So I've done very few overnights there, but the time I did, I stayed in one of these farmhouses for a few days. And I'm guessing that people found themselves looking at, the, at Logar Valley or looking at the view from the balcony on their little farmhouse, they pro- if they didn't know where they were, they would be like, oh, this has gotta be, this has gotta be Austria or maybe mm-hmm. this is some like Bavaria or something. Beautiful, really, really beautiful uh, area uh, that's definitely way off the normal tourist track. Uh, and I said, I think it, it's, it's probably most popular with Slovenes and Austrians, which, of course, is never a bad thing to be popular just with more the local tourists. Um, something that's a little bit more accessible because it's closer to other things that, that people would go see is the Sotra Valley. Um, and you can get there by doing a really beautiful drive with, that features 50 switchbacks over the tallest mountain pass in Slovenia uh, and through the national park and come down into it. And it's this Socha River. It I don't know what it's, I mean, it's emerald. It looks, it looks, it looks amazing. It looks like some watercolor artist painted it. It's sure. just always, it's always beautiful. Um, and there you've got, you've got a lot of different, I mean, you can go r- serious hiking and you can go into, into Triglau, Triglau National Park, and you could do the, you know, the the huts, things like that, stay at different huts. Um, but you can just do easy hikes as well. You know, there's a, like a one hour, one hour, 15 minute round trip walk from close to where the World War One Museum is in Koberid, uh, to one of the waterfalls there and back. Um, there's uh, paragliding, there's um, river rafting and canyoning, stuff like that. There's a lot of places that water sports there uh and there's skiing there in the winter time uh okay this winter i'm not sure i guess everything's closed till at least january but um it's kind of the outdoor mecca for slovenia and in the summertime if you just if you were like hey i'll go on and book in common and see what's available for july or august it's it's not much and everything's very expensive because mm-hmm. it just gets it gets uh booked out and of course every time i'm there i notice more companies you know offering different things so obviously there's a, a big demand but um, as I said I'm, a, I'm not a huge outdoor person but that place is is really beautiful and and easily accessible, even to the point of like, hey, if you didn't have your own car, you can get a bus from even, let's say, Ljubljana or other places to Bovets or to Cobra rid And from mm-hmm. there, you've got, you know, you've got hostels if you want to go a cheap and hang out with a bunch of other people who are probably going to spend most of their time hiking and walking, things like that. So that's a just a, and you're right on the border with Italy, there's a lot of small, like, ruined uh, forts and other things from the First World War there, kind of on these borderlands, so Completely picturesque. There's history there as well. Um, the only two-star Michelin restaurant in Slovenia is actually right in this whole area as well. So <laughs> you could actually do the fine dining and do all the outdoor stuff and the extreme sports and things like that all in one place. So Socha Valley and Logar Valley would be two of my places for Slovenia.
0: Yes, good recommendations. And you know, my thoughts like. Logar Dolina, I think, makes a nice day trip from from Ljubljana, or I suppose you could do it from Blade too. Um, but yeah. it's nice to kind of go there for a day. But Socha Valley, to me, like that's a place I would want to spend at least one night because there's so much good outdoorsy stuff to do, and even history, right? Like yeah, you know, the Great World War One Museum in Kobarid, uh, an absolute must see if you're at all interested in history. Um, so there's the kind of cultural stuff to see, there's just the great scenery, and you can do it like you can do easy hikes because you can drive up to Lashish Pass or something like that and, and you know, go on not something very strenuous, or you can get, do some, you know, killer hikes, um, really feel the burn, uh, depending on your, your fitness level. Um, and then, you know, there's the rafting, as you say uh fishing obviously so there's all kinds of things to do some really nice agritourismos tourist farms there and as you say like some really great food um, in the Socha valley so you know i um i usually recommend to people who are kind of looking for advice on you know what they want to spend some time in the slovenian mountains and to me Socha valley has to be right there at the top of the list because it's it's there's so much to do and it's so beautiful. And one of the things which I also really like about, it, I would say, besides all the scenery and the beauty and the good food, is I love about the Socha Valley, how in the kind of upper regions closer to the pass, it's very alpine. But then even as you get down towards Bovets and Kobarid, right? Like you're still in the mountains, but you're close enough to the Mediterranean that the climate starts to get a bit Mediterranean. So you're in the mountains, but it's not like it's not a really harsh climate. And that, you know, like there's palm trees that grow in Kobarid for example, and it's and this alpine village with palm trees. So I love that about the Socha Valley. And I think it's, I, I just love that place. And I'm always happy to go back there and definitely um, encourage anybody who's planning a Slovenia trip, include some time in the Socha River Valley.
1: Uh, yeah, um, yeah you're, you're, you're right about the, the the climate there too. Plus, I think as the crow flies, you're you know well i don't know actually as a crow flies but as just as a drive i think in an hour or so you could be at the adriatic in that part mm-hmm. of uh, italy so yeah. yeah you're really you're not so far away
0: yeah no it's a pretty great place um, so my outdoorsy recommendation uh focus for this installment also happens to be southeastern europe former yugoslavia uh, and, but a a world away in so many in so many respects from Slovenia, and that is Durmitor National Park in Montenegro. So Montenegro, famous for its rugged terrain, and Durmitor National Park is like the most rugged, the most spectacular of all of Montenegro's really impressive mountains. Um, It is also a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It's not right on the coast. I mean, Montenegro is a tiny little country, right? But but uh, the landscape is so rugged that travel times are a little bit higher. And probably there are people who day trip to this national park if they're staying in Kotor or something like that. But I would say that's foolish. Don't, don't do that. Go and spend some time there. Um, and getting there, definitely easiest if you have your own car, because otherwise you're taking a bus from somewhere and probably changing in this town of Nikšić um and then you have to go to Jabliak. like Jabliak is the main town it's not very big but like the main town where the national park kind of you know centers on I guess uh and you can get there with public trans that's how I've done it in the past but if you can afford to rent a car that makes it much 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 easier um so Jabliak is kind of the the center you know town but as I said it's like there's not much to it it's not super cute don't imagine some, you know, twee little Swiss Alpine village or something like that. Jabliak Zab- is a bit more functional, but it has what you need. Um, it, and That's probably where you'd stay, though there are some, you know, little um, B&B type places scattered around here and there, but Jabliak is the place where there's some restaurants and the grocery store and that kind of thing. Um, my accommodation advice uh, is you can definitely use like Booking.com or Airbnb or something like that to see what there is available around Jabliak. But unless you're going right in high high season, this is one of those places where I'd either call them and see if they speak any English, or you know have somewhere in mind. You can use like even Booking to kind of see where the best rated places. But then email them, call them, or just turn up because the prices that people put on booking.com and these little tiny towns in the Balkans, I, I'm going to say like in general, are probably at least 30% of what you'd actually pay. If you're, if you go just do it in person rather than if you'd like yeah. disintermediate booking, you know? Um, so that, what I'm saying is basically, yes, you can arrange accommodation ahead of time if you want, but probably better uh, to do it directly with the accommodation provider. If you can find them, uh, if you can get their phone number and email or something like that, because if you do it via booking.com or one of these reservation services, you're going to be paying a real premium.
1: Yeah. I've, I've only been to Jablak once. Um, yeah. And I had my own car. I think, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe there's something direct from Podgorica, but the, 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 the chances are you probably wouldn't be in Podgorica the capital anyway, because there's mm-hmm. not much there. Uh, and I do see some of these hostels or, or uh, little agencies in KOTOR offering day trips there but yeah it's that's one of those day trips where the total amount of drive time is probably greater than the amount of time Mm -hmm. you actually spend there and it's just it would make for a really long day and it's just it is I mean it's a really pretty area and it's not it doesn't have built up tourism like you know let's say around lake bled in Slovenia or certain places uh elsewhere like outside of Plitvice uh parks in Croatia so it's, there's definitely plenty of options to to, to stay and you can kind of enjoy the fact that it's not this big uh, uh, t- tourism hub.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you, you'll, you'll certainly, depending on what part of the year you go in, you'll encounter other people on the trail, but not that many, right? Not compared to somewhere in the Alps probably. Um, and of course, prices are so much lower than um, what you pay, in the even in the Austrian Alps or the French Alps, let alone the Swiss Alps, which of course you have to be a millionaire to, to afford the Swiss Alps, but um, but yeah, so it's it's much, much cheaper, and the scenery really is spectacular, right? Like, they're, they're the mountains there aren't that high compared to in the grand scheme of things. Like, I think the highest one is 2,500 some meters, so like 8,000 ish feet, um, but they're really impressive and rugged. Um, and it's a, it's a smallish mountain range right there, but just the whole scenery all around is quite nice. In fact, connected to Durmitor is this Tara River, which is the supposedly the uh, longest and deepest river canyon in Europe, and supposedly the second longest river canyon in the world after the Grand Canyon in the U.S., and it really is spectacular, like the Tara River is super impressive. Um, it's famous for its rafting and it's one of the best places in Europe to do kind of whitewater rafting. So you can combine that with Dormitor as you can do a Tara River raft trip in addition to your hiking. So that's a really nice kind of you know two for one on your outdoorsy uh, getaway. Um, and the hiking in Dormitor, you know, it, it ranges from just easy walks around a couple lakes. Um, to you know climbing the highest peak in the park which is as I said around 2500 some meters the and they the trails are all well signed so that's generally pretty easy one reason why it's nice to have your own car or sometimes you can even hire a taxi for this is that if you're staying in Jabliak a lot of the like you have to walk away is to actually get into the park but it's kind of the closest accommodation point as we said to the park so there's there's some out and back, um, which is not my favorite kind of hiking. Like I love to do nice loops, but just the way, you know, things are arranged there, you have to sort of out and back to get into the park. But if you have your own cars and you can drive to some trailheads here and there and make it easier that way, or you can even like pay a taxi driver in Jabiak to say, take me up to this pass and I'm going to like walk back into town um, from there. So that's actually, that would be my advice on, you know, not not retracing your steps too much is see if you can if you don't have your own wheel see if you can hire somebody to take you to the top of the trailhead so that you kind of don't have to backtrack so much just to get back into town but really it's easy um you know i don't know how much english is spoken there because i speak the local language but i think you can generally get around with it okay like uh, that shouldn't be a um an impediment to anybody enjoying dormitor so kind of my advice is if you are an outdoorsy person and are um, maybe doing like Croatia, Bosnia or something like that, uh, including some time for some amazing mountains in Montenegro, you will be glad because you'll get to this part uh, of, of Europe which you know most people from North America or the UK, like they just miss, like they don't go to this totally spectacular national park in Montenegro. And it's really really amazing scenery um you would not regret uh not regret it as a hiking destination
1: i'd agree yeah and you know montenegro means black mountain and it's just it's pretty much just a bunch of mountains Mm -hmm. and some coast and then some coastline and a little bay that comes in from the adriatic it's like mountains everywhere yeah there's about i think there's seven or eight national parks now in montenegro and six seven years ago I just I tried to draw I tried to go to see all of them except for one because of the uh, the weather conditions um and Montenegro it's smaller than Slovenia I don't to be honest I don't know the square miles square kilometers but you could still be like man I swear I drove like seven hours today like you know and I still Mm -hmm. could have driven a little bit more uh and I didn't leave the country um so yeah it's uh there's no there's no real main highways there and Mm -hmm. and um Yeah, there's you've got you've got national parks also bordering Kosovo and Albania with the Cursed Mountains. So, yeah, I think for people who are really into mountains, Montenegro, as well as Bosnia, like that's a great Mm -hmm. that's a great double feature. Slovenia is more like, hey, it's really beautiful and you could do some hiking and other stuff. But everything's kind of close by to other things. And there's a lot more infrastructure and easier to get to or what have you. And you could just like kind of set yourself in a nice, beautiful area and do some outdoor stuff. And I think Montenegro is more like, hey, if you want to just do more hardcore outdoor things and climb a a lot of mountains or just spend a week on on trails, then uh, Montenegro is probably more more the place to go.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good distinction.
1: So before we uh, before we sign off uh, for this episode, I just wanted to uh, just speak briefly, because uh, the this episode should be out around the 15th or so, the middle of December. And uh, 15th of December would have been my, my father's 86th birthday, but he passed away seven years ago. But we were fortunate enough to do a lot of trips together. So um, I think I recounted in one of our early episodes how we went to Russia and did the Trans-Siberian and all that stuff. And that one was our first trip, so it's kind of hard to top that one, Ben. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you know, it's like when you go when you're like, yeah, well, we just hung out on a train for a week and saw all these places in former Soviet Union as our first time ever outside of North America. That's kind of hard to beat. But another, I want to just recount a uh, another trip we we did together is uh, my dad was a professor for his whole career, and he he retired, and I could tell that he was very bored with retirement. And he was getting very depressed, so he called me in the summer of two thousand seven and said, "I need to go travel again. Let's let's go travel. You you plan it. I'll pay for it." So and I was think. So I thought about it for like two and a half seconds. I was like, "Okay, sounds like a good deal." Um, and and he was like, "Hey, you pick." And I thought, "Okay, you know, Poland and Baltics. It's like four countries. You know, kind of boom, 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 boom." Lots of World War II and, and Soviet history there, which things my dad was very much uh, interested in. So uh, he, he, called, he devised this whole thing. He called it Operation Phoenix because he felt like he needed to get reborn and get motiva- motivated again in life or whatever hmm. and you know learn something new. So we spent two weeks uh, in Poland and the Baltics, just the two of us, like late, late autumn. In fact, uh, we, we ended up seeing Helen, who we had on the podcast a few weeks ago in Southeast Estonia. So it was one of those, I mean, my dad and I were like the perfect uh, tra- travel partners together because we had, you know, we're both anything, uh, w- architecture, yes, we love it. Uh, World War II history, Soviet history, great. Uh, let You know, we don't need to do any shopping, but let's always try to find a good place to eat and some interesting things to drink. So... Um, my dad my dad kept this journal, uh, and he, he always would do this. He would print things out when we got back from trips and then he gave me a copy. so I still have this copy. It was called the Daily Reports of Operation Phoenix hmm. and I was just reading through it uh, actually last month when I was we were getting ready to talk with Helen because he had a, a bunch of comments about uh, Tartu and that part of Estonia, which he loved. it was his favorite place. but I just noticed how many comments he would make about places we, were eat, we would be eating at. You know, and it's it's kind of fun. Is I don't know about you, Ben. Do you do you keep a do you keep a journal at all when you travel anymore?
0: Uh, occasionally.
1: Yeah, I kind of you know I just I rely on like well I got photos from here that could give me a you know where I was at whenever or I got Facebook page, uh, posts I could look at, uh, and it's really too bad because there's a lot of details that get lost because if you don't post on it or you didn't take a picture of that one thing, it kind of it goes out of your memory. So. Uh, I was reading through and there was a, there was some Romanian or Transylvanian restaurant called Dracula in Vilnius, Lithuania. And I was like, Hey, let's see. It's like, Hey, we're not in Romania, but let's, you know, try, let's see what they have there. my dad had a steak soaked in absinthe that was lit on fire. And that was (laughs) like, he was like, this is like the best steak I've ever had in my life, you know, before. So, uh, and just reading through all these other places, uh, you know, that we were going through. And I was like, yeah, like his brain worked fairly similar similar to mine, you know. Just like oh, these people here were super nice. Oh, here is a museum. Uh, there was a, a car museum we went to in Riga that had all like Stalin's cars and things like that, hmm. and other uh, other cars that other Soviet um, what would you call them premiers had. Um, hmm. So just just reading through made me. you know, It's like it's it's really. It's really too bad we we I mean I could say too bad because we traveled five times together and I'm guessing five times is a lot more than most people travel with their with their with their with their relatives or their parents or their dad and I'm guessing a lot of people they might not travel so well with their mom or dad or whatever I I don't really know I was fortunate that that uh, you know I had very really good travels with them one of the things that was funny he would always ask me. You know, even when we were like planning the next trip or just talking about whatever, he would always say like, Andrew, you ever think we're gonna go back to Lake Baikal? And I'd be like, dad, you always, like once a year you ask me that question. And it's like, the answer is like, that is so freaking far away. And I was like, we do, are we gonna get on a train for three and a half days? Or are we gonna fly like eight hours from Moscow? Not like eight hours from America, <laughs> but like get to Moscow and fly all the way there. So, um, you know, it's like, unfortunately we never did, but he was always like kind of pining, pining for that. So I, ha- I have some of his ashes and one of my goals, one of these days when, when I return to Russia, cause it's been a long, long time since I've been there is to, is to hopefully take the, uh, take the train with my kids in the summertime, go out to Baikal, which should be beautiful in the summertime and then uh, and put some of the ashes there. Uh, cause otherwise, I mean, it's like, if you look on a map it's just so like in the middle of nowhere. Uh, (laughs) middle of Siberia so um anyway it was uh it was one of those things I'm very I'm very glad I wish I wish we could of course done some more more travels but um I'd say I'd say he saw he saw a fair bit of what of the countries we cover on this country and he he really enjoyed it and he was not like someone who was you know you know, like oh, I've, I have relatives there. Of course, he had no heritage from 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 any like Central Eastern European countries. Uh, he he just was interested in World War II things and Cold War stuff or whatever. But uh, I think he kind of like me kind of found his niche here for 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 various reasons. So just a little shout out to my dad. Um, if if people out there listening, they could get to travel with with their family. You know, with their if they're you know if they got grown kids or they still have a dad or, or mom or whatever, um, you know, and if you're compatible traveling, because I know not everyone really is, uh, it's, it's a great thing. Cause it's, it's something, I think most of the, most of those memories I have now, especially because they're over the last 20 years really stick in my, stick in my brain. And it's fun to go to places again and say, oh, yeah, when I went here with my dad, we did X or we stayed here or, you know, we ate at this restaurant or, oh, this is my dad's favorite thing to order on the menu here or whatever. So um, encourage people to, to go to go try that because um, uh, it's uh, it, it could be really special.
0: Yeah, no, that's amazing. I mean, I uh, that's memories to treasure. And I think you're right that not easy necessarily for everybody to travel with their parents. Uh, I never had the chance to do those kind of trips as an adult with my dad because he died just after I graduated from college, but I did have some nice trips with my mother before she died. And uh, and I know that she cherished those memories of like the time I showed her around Paris um, that, that helped make her life what it was. So a cheers to travels with parents wherever it might be and wherever wherever you are
1: exactly and and also just kind of like Travel with, you know, you, you know, I think everyone probably has like travel soulmates. Like people, they might, they, they they, could be their dad or their mom. They could they could be someone like not even their best friend, but people, there's just certain people that you travel well together and there's other people you might be best friends with and you're like, oh, I tried that once and it was horrible, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's like just because you're, just because you make great friends and you hang out all the time, doesn't this always mean you're the, the travel mate? And I kind of think, I don't know, I think I kind of notice that now when I run my tours, you know? It, there's certain people who travel with with certain friends and it's not like oh this is my best friend we've known each other since we were 7 years old it's like no oh, this is my best friend to go travel with cuz we uh-huh. you know you know we can survive each other for for two weeks straight
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, that's a good point i've known people like that too that they might not even hang out that much back in their hometown but they know they're compatible traveling so that's that's fantastic
1: key key thing to recognize well, I think Ben, this this wraps up our our thirteenth episode. Hopefully, it's not an unlucky one, um, and that we'll actually make a fourteenth episode and not like get get bogged down by the thirteen curse. Um, so, i just once again, I'm Andrew Vallone. You can find me at savortheexperiencetours.com. and I'm also I, doing plenty of tours with uh, Adventures with Sarah, adventureswithsarah.net, and Guide Collective, of course.
0: Yep, I was just gonna say that too. Guide Collective, check us out there, guide-collective.com. And I'm Ben Curtis, as I mentioned, Ben Curtis, Benjamin Curtis.me. Thanks as always for listening and hope to uh, have the pleasure of all of your company. And by, by, that, by which I mean Andrew and anybody listening, hope to have the pleasure of your company on our next episode.